This morning's scripture is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to October. It is uh, the month of October, and uh, we are celebrating the whole month long, uh, Reformation 500, and um, we're starting it today with uh, uh, a sermon series that will be going through uh, five different aspects of the Protestant Reformation and the importance of it. So uh, buckle up, and I hope you uh, enjoy it. We have lots of uh, cool things going on. But um, as we start in today, uh, we're celebrating what happened 500 years ago, because 500 years ago, on October 31st, 1517, uh, Martin Luther nailed a paper on the door of the Castle Church of Wittenberg, Germany, or Wittenberg, Deutschland, uh, listing 95 propositions that uh, he intended to debate. Now, this was a common practice, actually, back then, but these 95 theses, propositions or theses, uh, were very controversial. He was attacking the many excesses of the church and its beliefs and practices. His 27th proposition, for instance, or thesis, was against one of the most crass, the sale of church indulgences. As the people were often told, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I'd like to see Chris Tomlin make a praise song out of that. <laughs> Rick uh, had in mind to let that be the next uh, slogan for our, uh, any building campaign we might have in the future, but the uh, session said maybe not, so uh, I don't know. Uh, but wow, what a, what a teaching. And this is what was uh, told to folks all the time back then. Hardly anyone realized it, but humanity itself, the human race as a whole, was in a very, very desperate time. It wasn't terrorism. It wasn't the threat of nuclear holocaust. There was no one talking about an asteroid coming to hit our planet or anything like that or a plague. It was something far worse. Because after 1,500 years of the time of, from the time of Christ, we almost lost the gospel, as Peter was saying earlier. We almost lost it. Now, the Middle Ages, as we now call them, had uh, many periods of vitality, but by the 13 and 1400s, many central aspects of the gospel began to be eroded by human tradition, by beliefs about the Pope, certain beliefs about Mary, the mother of Jesus, <clears throat> certain beliefs about purgatory, as we just saw, but the worst of it had to do with the Roman Catholic Church's beliefs about the place of works in one's relationship with God. Now, I want to say right off, this is, none of this is meant to be disrespectful to Roman, the Roman Catholic Church or it's, uh, anyone who is a Roman Catholic, but we do have significant differences about significant doctrines that are worth noting. Uh, their teaching at the time has been summed up by some sense, though, as something like this. If you like mathematical formulas, they were almost teaching that grace was faith plus works equals justification, 
or to better put it, faith and works together result in one's justification, forgiveness of sins, salvation, and all of that. Faith plus works equal that justification. Now, please note that the Roman Catholic Church did not then, nor does it now, teach that salvation is by works. They did believe that faith was a part of it, and faith was required. But they saw justification, they saw the forgiveness of sins as a process. It's a process. Almost as if God is keeping score, even. You see, you're good when you're baptized. When you're first baptized, particularly as if it's as an infant, um, you're good. Everything's good. You've had all this grace poured into you. Ah, but then you sin, you see. You sin, and grace leaks out of you when you do that. And you have demerits put into your account that you're going to have to work off. To erase these demerits, you have to do things like partake of the sacraments, do penance, say confession, buy indulgences, um, things like that. And these acts merit the erasing of your demerits. Wow. Now, of course, no one except the official saints die without quite a number of demerits. If you're a, a canonized as an official saint, that meant that you had more merit than you needed. And it can actually be given to some people. So, that's <laughs> crazy. Um, but most of us die with a whole lot of de- demerits. Lots of demerits. And then what happens when you die? You go to purgatory. Now, here's an online Roman Catholic encyclopedia definition of purgatory. This is a modern website. They didn't have websites back in 1517. I don't know if you didn't know that or not. And so this is a modern thing that you can find online right now as to what purgatory is. Purgatory, a place or condition of temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, in other words, you're in good with God, you've got some grace in you, but not enough, temporal punishment for those who, departing this life in God's grace, are not entirely free from venial faults or have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. Do you get that? Punishment on the one hand that you still have to endure. You haven't paid all the satisfaction yet. You, but you have paid some apparently for your sins, but not all of them. How much punishment, you might ask? Glad you asked that question. Well, Pope Leo X who was the Pope during Luther's time, during 1517, had declared that certain relics, and I won't go into all about relics, but certain relics that were in Halle, Germany, uh, if you went to them and and took advantage of them, were good for taking, now get this, 4,000 years off of your sentence in purgatory. Which means it's probably likely that most of us have much more than 4,000 years of purgatory waiting for us. We have so many demerits still against us when we die. Can you see why we celebrate the Reformation? (laughs) Thank you. As I said at the beginning, humanity almost lost the gospel. And it wasn't recovered without a tremendous struggle. And this isn't merely an academic exercise that we're going through, going through these... uh, Uh, the sermon series here or remembering the Reformation because as the saying goes, uh, those who don't learn from history are what? Doomed to repeat it. See, we can fall back into this all too easy. It's almost as if it's our natural bent and we can lose the gospel in other ways as well that we're going to talk about a little bit. And churches do that today and all too often, if we think about it, and we're going to talk about this, 
You and I let go of the gospel all too often too. And nothing less than our relationship with God is at stake in this. So for the next five weeks, we're going to celebrate the Reformation by focusing on five essential components of the gospel that the Reformers uh, really recovered and brought back into vogue, if you will, in the church. Uh, And it's all part of the gospel, all part of the good news. Now, they had uh, some Latin terms for it, and uh, sola in all its different forms simply means alone. So what we're going to talk about is how we are saved by grace alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, sola fide, uh, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. So that's what we're going to be covering for the next five weeks. Today we're going to look at two of them, though, uh, sola gratia and sola fide, how we are saved by grace through faith. And uh, we're going to look particularly at a passage I think that makes this uh, uh, perhaps the clearest in all of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And so let me read that uh, once again. I think it bears that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So as I mentioned earlier, Martin Luther and the other reformers confronted the idea of grace uh, in operation at that time in the church and a a kind of notion that, again, could be put in this mathematical formula. Really, the second line is a better way to put it. Maybe the first one helps you remember it better. But faith and works together result in justification. They had a different concept that since people have put together in a different mathematical formula that goes like this. Faith equals justification plus works. That is, faith results in justification on the one hand, but also in good works. In other words, works don't contribute to your relationship, to your salvation with God. They don't earn you anything, but they do have a place in your life, and they come after you have put your faith in God. We're going to unpack that some more as we go. So, grace, let's talk about that a bit more. Grace has been described as undeserved blessing freely given undeserved blessing freely given. Now this undeserved blessing is seen in many ways and in fact God bestows his grace upon all people in in a number of ways. Uh, Everybody is a beneficiary in one degree or another of God's grace. Here's a few ways this happens. First off from Matthew chapter 5, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, we all get sunshine and rain when we need it, right? God makes, this is from Psalm 104, God makes grass grow for cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. In other words, God made this world in such a way that it not only barely subsists our existence, but it's awesome. And it's a wonderful thing. Chocolate and coffee, we could go on and on. But just things like that, that God has provided for all human beings to enjoy. These are examples of God's grace. Some have called it uh, common grace because it is grace on the one hand, but it's given commonly to all people. So that's one aspect of God's grace. But there's a special grace that God gives in salvation. And that's what we're really focusing on here today. As uh, verse 8 of Ephesians 2, 8, 9 to 10 points out, it is by grace through faith that we are saved. 
And this special grace comes to us at least in two ways, and Paul brings these out in the uh, book of Ephesians. So we're going to look at this. So in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, again, he gives us that idea that it's saved by grace through faith. But he elaborates on that actually in, in prior verses. And so we're going to look at a couple ways he does that. First of all, in Ephesians 1, verse 7. There he gives us one example of the kind of grace that we're given, the special grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Wow. So this is the grace that God bestows upon us in saving us. And it's in him, in Christ, that we have redemption. And how? Through his blood. It's what Jesus did on the cross for us that saves us, that redeems us, and redeems us all the way. The forgiveness of sins is accomplished there. Do we see anything about works here in that verse? Anybody? No, thank you. Good, you're paying attention. Uh, Yeah, there's nothing about works there. It's in Christ that we have redemption. He redeems us. He saves us. And he did it because of his blood, his death upon the cross. My goodness. What, What could be added to that? Do we really think that there's anything insufficient about Christ's death on the cross that we need to do more? And what can we do compared to that? Nothing. I uh, mentioned in the first service that I thought this was Tim Mascara's favorite hymn. Actually, it's his second favorite hymn. I was corrected uh, between services. But uh, it is well with my soul. But I love uh, one of the lines in there because it says there, My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. That's right. It is, therefore, well with my soul. And all that means, then, is that Grace is that God saves us. Salvation is God's work. It's the relationship between God's grace and faith uh, that's found in a story I'm going to read to you in in just a moment here. But uh, it is God's work. He accomplishes it for us. He doesn't just make salvation possible that we then do something about it. He saves us. And uh, a story that I'd like to read to you that was in the ooh, excuse me saw the uh, August um, edition of Table Talk, the uh, monthly devotional that we uh, give you now. Um, is um, there was an article in there in the August edition that I thought so well illustrates how grace and faith work together. Listen to this story. Jessica Buchanan was an aid worker in the lawless lands of Somalia. She worked with a Danish charity teaching children how to avoid landmines. In October 2011, she was kidnapped by a band of Somali pirates armed with AK-47s. She was held for 93 days in the wide open through the rainy season. Over that time, she became malnourished and and began to suffer greatly from a kidney infection. Her captors kept her alive, but barely. Negotiations were stalled. She had lost all hope. But in the night... In the middle of the night on January 25th, 2012, she woke to a sudden and violent eruption of gunfire. She thought a rival gang had engaged her captors in a battle. She buried her head in her hands thinking she would surely die. Then she felt a hand on her shoulder and heard someone call her name, Jessica. And she heard it in an American accent. Under the cover of night, a detachment from the U.S. Navy SEAL Team 6, hoorah, 
parachuted in and attacked the camp. All of the pirates were killed. Jessica was unharmed. The sailors picked her up and carried her out of the camp into the designated pickup zone. The seals then made a circle around her. I just think it's so cool. And waited till the helicopter arrived. They loaded her onto the helicopter and she was carried off to safety. The seals didn't just make it possible for Jessica Buchanan to save herself. She could do nothing about it. And that's what God does for us. We can do nothing about it. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. What can a dead person do about anything? Nothing. Spiritually speaking, we can do nothing about it. And then God swoops in in a far more heroic way. Jesus Christ comes and saves us completely. And then what did Jessica Buchanan do? She simply received it, right? They saved the day, and she says thanks and receives it. That's what faith is. Grace is how God saves us. Faith is simply receiving it on our part. That's what faith is. God does the saving because Jesus is perfectly righteous. He is perfectly righteous, but through faith, his righteousness is credited to our account. All the merits that you need. His righteousness is credited to our accounts. We are dead in our sin, but through faith, our sin is credited to his account. All of our demerits on the cross, and then he is dead in our sins. We are dead in our sins until God makes us alive in Christ, and then we receive, like Jesse Buchanan, the salvation offered to us. Faith is simply receiving the gift, trusting in Jesus' work to save you. Now, there's a second aspect of this grace, though, too. It's even more than, than that. Uh, and we see that in chapter 2, verse 5. Oh, I forgot in the first service, too. There's the book that you can read about it, Impossible Odds by uh, Jessica Buchanan. Um, in any case, um, but the second aspect of this we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. There's even more to this grace story than that. There it says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, again we see that word, that you have been saved. And what's going on here is that God does a miracle in us. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. He makes us alive so that we can respond in the way that we are called to. Uh, that's how uh, faith is a gift, in fact, that it mentions there in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, because it's a gift that God made us alive to be able to even have faith. And notice also then how the works come in. Works don't earn us anything. They don't get us saved, but they do have a place, right? And this is it. Notice how verse 10 goes. Verse 10 starts with, for we are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. All of that, which I've highlighted there in the yellow, points us back to what's up in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, that's also in yellow. He made us alive in Christ, it says there. And that's why we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. He has made us alive, and therefore we are able to do good works now. Before, we couldn't even do them. We were in rebellion to God. We didn't love God. We weren't interested in God. And now he does that heart transformation. And the works come in because we want to say, thank you, Jesus. 
We love him. We want to please him now, and we want to be part of his work of doing good in this world. Sometimes we sort of poo-poo good works. What? Doing good is good, right? (laughs) So uh, it just doesn't earn us anything. But we love God, and we want to be part of what he's doing. That's what he also enables us to do. So faith results in justification and works, not the other way around. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. Uh, That's what was almost lost but was recovered in the Reformation that we want to celebrate in this month. But the thing is, as I said earlier, uh, we often let go of the gospel even today. Not only churches, but you and I right here at Stonebridge. You know, it, it often strikes me how easy it is for us to sort of make fun of the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament. And one way that we do that, for instance, is uh, we marvel that after going through the crossing of the Red Sea and uh, being in the Exodus and leaving slavery behind, they wanted to go back to Egypt. What was wrong with those crazy people? We certainly wouldn't have thought that if we had been there at the time. No, sir, we wouldn't have done that. Well, the odd thing is, we do have a strange tendency maybe not to go back to Egypt, but to go back to Rome and Romish kinds of thinking. For instance, how do you respond when you have sinned? Do you try to hide from God? Are you afraid that he's going to punish you? Or maybe you try to bargain with him. Do you try to bargain with God? Do you try to buy your way back into his good graces? Are you somehow trying to merit his good graces? Lord, if she just doesn't find out, I promise I'll go to church every day of the year. I'll, I'll sponsor a child in India. Lord, I will volunteer in the nursery. Just please don't let her find out. But think of the words that we use when we talk like that. Punishment? Merit? Do we really think that Jesus is the kind of God that can be bought? Do, what, what do we have that we can give him that uh, isn't already his? What can we give him that we don't already owe him? All of this is faith plus works equals justification thinking. If you belong to Christ, all of your sin is forgiven. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin that you're going to commit, and the sin that you just committed, that's usually the one we can't get over, right? Now, there is a place for godly sorrow for our sin. It's the recognition that our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. There's a place for sorrow for that. It's the recognition that we haven't arrived yet, but that sorrow should drive us to the cross to confess, to repent, and to find the empowering we need to fight against sin in our lives. Going back to Rome accomplishes nothing, and it insults God. But we can lose the gospel in the opposite direction as well. A recent visitor to our church uh, uh, I got to meet, uh, and he had been uh, looking for a new church home, and he's uh, gone to several churches, and he had been at one for a while. And uh, after having been there for a while, he noticed that they never talked about sin. So he went to the pastor and asked about that, and uh, he said, oh yeah, no, we don't do that. And he said, well, why? And he goes, well, we're seeking to minister to seekers. What? You know, people who are seeking God, who haven't found God yet, who aren't Christians yet, so we're not going to talk about sin. Really? 
That's like having AA meetings where they don't talk about drinking. That's like going to your doctor when you're sick, but he refuses to talk to you about your disease. Oh, but sin's so negative that we say. Exactly, which is why we need to be delivered from it. And we're not delivered from it. We don't have victory over it by pretending it doesn't exist. Martin Luther couldn't pretend it didn't exist. He was wrestling with the meaning of the phrase. He was wrestling with... Get back up there, Martin. Okay. He was wrestling with the meaning of the phrase found in Romans 1.17. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, he took that to mean that God was righteous and that he punishes sinners. And here's what he said about that. Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt I was a sinner before God with a most disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not live. Indeed, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. I was angry with God. But finally, by the mercy of God, as I meditated day and night, I paid attention to the context of the words. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Catch the difference. He who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And that's Jesus Christ's invitation to everyone to come through the gates and to receive the forgiveness that he freely offers, the grace, the undeserved blessing freely offered that we receive simply as a gift and no other way. As a prisoner told a jailer long ago, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved in forgiveness of sins and being transformed into a new life. Let's let that be our motto as a church and as individuals. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you so much for the grace that is offered to us in Christ. We thank you so much for that. And Lord, we, we know that we can add nothing to it. And that's a good thing because it's all been done and paid for by Christ. And so we thank you so much for the grace that is offered to us by faith. And we would ask, Lord, that we would ever, ever trust in that. Lord, it's so easy. We confess that all too often. Uh, indeed, we let go of your grace. And we try to depend on our performance. Lord, forgive us for that and help us to enjoy the freedom that we have, the total, the total forgiveness, the total acceptance that we have in you and in your gospel. And may that be the light that shines through us into a world that so desperately needs the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now we come to the table of communion, which so perfectly illustrates all of this. As we, uh, as we come here and we look at what's here at this table, what do we find? We find the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his blood. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us on the cross. Total, complete accomplishment of our salvation. And think even of what we do as we partake of communion. Do we do anything? Do we add anything to it? No, we simply what? Accept it. So here's the grace and the faith is the partaking of it. Simply accepting the gift. 
And so that's why we would encourage any and all who belong to Jesus Christ, who have put their faith in him and belong to any evangelical church to partake of this, because this is the table of the Lord, not of Stonebridge Church. But if you haven't yet come to the point where you've put faith in Christ, um, just let the elements pass by as they'll be passed uh, around uh, the church in just a moment, because it's uh, um, not only a symbol of faith, but it is actually an act of faith as well. So we would encourage you to consider uh, the, the claims of Christ and the invitation, the open door, as Martin Luther put it, uh, that you might put your faith in him. Um, but this is what uh, we'll be doing here today. And we'll be uh, doing what we often do at Stonebridge. We'll pass out uh, the bread first, and uh, we would encourage you, to, as the Lord leads, to go ahead and partake of the bread. But then as the cup is passed around, uh, hang on to that if you would, hold on, and then we'll all partake of it together. Jesus died for us individually, so therefore take the bread individually, but he also died for us collectively as his body, as his church, and we'll partake of the cup all together. Let me read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians what Paul says about all this. There he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the Lord's death. And we proclaim that and we partake of it here. And we ask now that you would take these common elements Uh, this bread and this cup, and use them to your holy purpose and enable us, Father, by faith to feed on Christ and to be strengthened in him that we might live for you in your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We come forward. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broken and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.